0: So this morning is part two in, uh, in, a, in a sermon I'm calling Crooked, and the word crooked means bent, broken, out of place, but it also means dishonest. And we sort of see both of these things happening in, uh, in the book of Micah. In fact, what we're seeing is this, when leaders are crooked, meaning dishonest, then it leads to life being crooked, as in bent or broken. And relationships get all bent out of shape. What we're seeing in Micah 2 is this, that the politicians and the prophets are a little bit like uncovered, rotten onions in the fridge. What happens? They affect everything, right? Right? It infects everything with the stink of sin. So when leaders, when the politicians and the prophets of the land are stinky, it just tends to permeate everything. Now you're all thinking, i got to check my fridge because I don't want that to happen. Exactly. So Micah says this. Here's the message he's bringing. God has had enough. God says, I'm going to come down there. And it's coming down in judgment to clean things up. Remember this, that sometimes in life things get worse before they get better, right? You have to go through Central Valley to get to Yosemite Valley, right? And what God is doing is this. He is leading his people to restoration, that beautiful place of lasting restoration, but it leads through the valley of rebuke. Prophets are alarm clocks, and Micah is the alarm, and he's targeting his rebuke, at the leaders of the land. Think of how much courage this takes. He is targeting the rebuke at the leaders of the land. Why? Because the leaders are oppressors. Again, oppressor is a really huge theme right now. I want to be careful with terms. I wanted to put the definition that I'm referring to it back up on screen so we know what we're talking about. This is already filled out for you, but in a nutshell, last week we looked at this, that some oppression is obvious, some oppression is sneaky. And today what we're looking at is this, not only can oppression be obvious or sneaky, but oppression can be physical or it can be spiritual. And I really want to camp out on this second piece today, that oppression can be spiritual. And that's what we're seeing uh, in this passage. So we're going to start with Micah two six in just a second. But before that, let me just get our heads around the role of prophet, the idea of what is a prophet. Um, and because that's not just fresh on our minds, perhaps. But in short, a prophet are men or women who had a formal or informal role, and they spoke divinely inspired messages to the people. When you see the role prophet in the Bible, that's what it's talking about. In essence, you might think of them as the mouthpiece of God. God working through human agents to speak to the people on his behalf. Now, when you hear the word prophecies, many people think prophecy as a future prediction of some events that are coming, and that's half right. That is what prophecies are. But prophecies also, uh, prophets can also speak to current events, okay? So they can predict things in the future. Thus saith the Lord, a worldwide flood is coming. That's Noah. Noah's a prophet. And he built a boat for a bunch of years to kind of demonstrate that he really believed this was true. That was a future prophetic event. But prophets also speak into current events. Remember we talked about this last week that um, with great power can come great corruption. It doesn't necessarily mean that if someone has great power, they will have great corruption, but it can and often does. Think about this. If a person can come along and, and attach God says to their message, doesn't that wield a lot of power? It certainly does. Now, in a secular place like ours, people don't really care that I'm a pastor. They don't go, wow, that's so interesting. They go, that's just weird. Like, what is a pastor? What does that even mean? Because we're a very secular area, right? People don't think about that. But in a, in a more religious area, if someone comes and attaches, thus saith the Lord to it, God says, man, that wields a lot of power. And we see that used for good and for ill. So consider this as we talk about prophets. The Bible speaks very openly about prophets and a different category called false prophets. Prophets, false prophets, right? People who are telling the truth, people who are lying. Old Testament Testament consequence of being proven a false prophet. Someone who says, I am speaking for God and it turns out not to be true. What's the Old Testament consequence for that? Stunning. It's death. God takes us really serious. Like, like someone standing up and saying, I'm speaking for God. Oops, just kidding. I was wrong. No, no, no. That's death. Because you either heard from God and you're speaking for God or you haven't. So really, really serious between false prophets and prophets. Consider this. Micah says he was sent from God. Lots of people say they're sent from God. And Micah is an outsider with no formal role being called to the seat of power, to Jerusalem, to call out people, people with roles, politicians and prophets, and he is calling them out. Remember, Micah is a nobody from nowhere. We saw that in Micah one, and he's calling, he, he's going there to call out all that's going wrong in society, but Micah is not the only voice getting airplay. This is always true. Part of what makes life challenging is you always, on every issue, you hear one thing, then you hear another thing. Has our little computers on our phones made this easier or harder to discern what's true and what's not true? It has exploded to, to get every point of view ever in all of history around the whole world at all times. I took my niece to In N Out Burger after Great America this week. We walk into In N Out, and, and, and she goes, I love this menu. I go, What do you love about it? She goes, There's only two choices. It's cheeseburger or hamburger. I'm like, oh man, you must hate the cereal aisle at Safeway, right? Because there's way too many choices. She just said, it's not about the hamburgers, how good it was. It's just the choice. It narrowed it for her. And she just absolutely loved it. So there's another group of people that are preaching a counter message to what they probably termed, oh, melancholy Micah. Don't listen to him. We've got another message for you. Here it is, ready? Life is good, and God is good with our life. Life is good, and God is good with our life. That is their essential message. Look for that in Micah 2. We're gonna see that. Comfort, prosperity, and a God who would never be harsh or would never demand anything of them. By the way, do we see flavors of this with the Christian label on it? Absolutely. Do we see people preaching the Bible but really just always, always, always preaching prosperity, comfort, health, wealth, and a God who never demands and and life that has no consequences. Man, we see churches filled with those kinds of people. Here's the million dollar question we're trying to get at today. Who is right and how can you know? Who is right? When there are two competing messages, is melancholy Micah right or these other ones that say life is good and God's good with my life? who's right and how do we know? Here's what we see over and over. If you use your brain, you look at it and you go, they can't both be right. We used to live in a nonsense world that said, well, all paths lead to God. Everyone's right. But that doesn't make any sense. That's completely illogical. Consider this, no matter what you say with your mouth, you are a disciple of the voice you obey. So, no matter what you say, you're a disciple of the voice you obey. There may have been professing believers in Noah's message. We believe you, Noah. We're with you. Keep building. They weren't true disciples if they didn't walk up the ramp, right? No matter what they said, their their true self is exposed by the voice that they obey. So, in this situation, Do you live like Micah is right and receive his word and act accordingly? Woe is us. God's mad at us and he's coming to judge. That leads to a whole set of actions, beliefs, attitudes. It clears your schedule for a whole bunch of things. Or do you live like the prophets in power are right? Taking them at their word and living accordingly. Every single person is called to listen carefully, discern wisely, and then act accordingly. Micah chapter 2 verse 6. Okay, we're going to read 6 through 8. I'm going to read this in New Living Translation. One of the things about the minor prophets tends to be they're a little bit like Shakespeare, and you read it and you're like, wow, how poetic. What does it mean? No idea. And New Living Translation, particularly on this passage, sort of has taken a little bit of the work out of it. I want you just to hear it. It may read differently than the ESV, which is what I normally read from. So just listen to what I'm about to read, uh, and you can check it out in your own text if you'd like. Popular opinion numbers are down for Micah, right? A lot of times you preach for God, you're not that popular. Where's your best-selling book? Uh, it didn't really go over so well. How come you're not asked to speak places? Well, I've got kind of a difficult message. You're all going to die. God's mad at you. Um, so he is recounting in Micah two six. He's sort of recounting this conversation between him and the people that don't like him very much. Here it is, Micah chapter two verse six. Don't say such things. The people respond. Don't prophecy like that. Such disaster will never come our way. Should you talk that way, O family of Israel? Will the the Lord's Spirit have patience, patience with such behavior? If you would do what is right, you would find my words comforting. And yet to this very hour, my people rise against me like an enemy. You steal the shirts right off the backs of those who trusted you, making them as ragged as men returning from battle. Skip down to verse 11. In verse 11, we're talking more about preaching and prophets. It says this, suppose a prophet, this is Micah talking, suppose a prophet full of lies would say to you, I'll preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol. That's just the kind of prophet you would like. Here's what Micah's doing. Micah is using biting sarcasm to expose their lies. They're living lies, and he's, he's using sarcasm to, 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 to do that. ESV translates Micah 2.6 this way. Do not preach, thus they preach. It's the same word. Don't preach at us this way. Here's an interesting thing. For a long time, people were like, you can't vote in your morals. Leave your morals out of politics. Don't preach your morals to me. There are no absolute truths. And a phenomenon has gone on called lawn sign theology where people place on their front lawn statements like this. Love is love, water is life, science is real, um, and, and several other things. These are their stated secular creed. They are preaching to me as I drive by them. Whether I want to or not, I thought, that's a good idea. I never thought to put the Apostles' Creed, like, right on my front lawn. Don't preach at us, preacher. That's a good sermon. That's what I would say to them. Like, you're doing exactly to me what you're asking me not to do to you. So Mike is, Mike is saying this. He's just exposing it. He says, if a preacher showed up, talking, t- talking about the, the, the nuances of Napa's uh, new best wine, and his own like sort of home hops brewing method, people would be like, you are hired on the spot. You're our next preacher. Get up here and preach to us. We love that stuff. We're all about that. I subscribe to Hops Magazine, and you would just, I'd love to get some tips from you. This is what Mike is saying. He's saying, look how shallow you are. They're full of lies. You don't care about truth or, or, or falsehood. You care about what you want to hear. When prophets go bad, the people are in trouble. When the mouthpieces are speaking lies, people are in trouble, just like rotten onions in the fridge. This is exactly what we see today. People have no patience for the hard truth of alarm clocks, even when the alarm clocks could save their life. There's a person sitting in here. I won't expose him. But anytime I mention sin and the hard truth of life and that you're all sinners and God's going to, re- you know, uh, judge sin and you need to repent, he comes and he just says, Man, great sermon. Thank you so much for mentioning the wickedness of my fallenness and my sin. And I go, Man, that's, that's a guy who, when, when we sing, My heart needs a surgeon, I don't need a few tweaks. I don't need to just sort of get a couple new good habits to to practice my way out of this I am desperately wicked who will save me from the wretch that I am Praise be to god. That's why it wells up from our chest and we can't even contain it when we come and sing about the gospel So friend in here who keeps me preaching hard messages of truth You're welcome When you preach the bible, that's what happens Here's here's something you may want to write down. People are starving for a messenger that affirms their desires and ignores their sin. People are starving for a messenger that affirms their desires and ignores their sin. And don't think I'm talking about those outside the church. Remember, Micah is pointed inward at God's people. Those who would say, we are God's flock, So in modern day vernacular, it's right here in the church. It's not out there. Those people, yeah, those wicked people. No, it's us wicked people. Let the scriptures be a mirror to your own heart. A Christianity with no cost and no consequence is what's called a false gospel. False gospels are a false hope preached by false prophets. A God who is patient A God who is understanding and overlooks our faults, if you do full stop right there, that's a 50% truth, because that's all true of God. But last time I checked, a 50% truth is at least a 50% lie. And when I was in school, 50% was an F. Man, Satan over and over will preach to you the first part of the gospel. You're a no-good, lousy, shame-ridden person. People only knew what was really going on inside the heart and who was the king of your own heart. Man, they wouldn't be around you. That's all true. That's the first half of the gospel. Scripture is filled with, but God. The refrain is, but God steps in and saves us so that churches are filled with people that God should be judging. But such were some of you. And now we're clean in the gospel. Preachers and prophets abound today offering messages of happiness and hope. I would say I'm a prophet that preaches a message of happiness and hope. Here's the key difference. The difference is where and when that happiness and hope are found. I think everyone's preaching a message of happiness and hope. It's where and when are those things found. God's way often leads through rebuke and pain. Central Valley, hot Central Valley. By the way, we had someone from the Central Valley last week. (laughs) My apologies. God's way often leads through rebuke and pain onto true and lasting restoration. We have a saying around here we say all the time, come as you are, but don't stay that way. What that message is saying is this, God is welcoming of all sinners. God is welcoming of all sinners, but he is affirming to none god welcomes all sinners or else none of us would be welcome in god's house today but he doesn't welcome you and then affirm your cancer he welcomes you come as you are but don't stay that way he takes you from the pig slop and he says come on home you're a son you're a daughter you're a precious ruling prince and princess come and act like that let me show you how Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Who are you listening to? Where do you go for the voice of truth? False prophets oppress people by giving them a message they want instead of a message that they need. And in fact, by failing to fulfill their role of warning, they are acting as enemies to the people of God. It's the height of selfishness. To say, I don't want the people to be mad at me, so I will withhold warning so I could keep preaching a message that seems to really be winning a lot of attaboys after the sermon. If these false prof- prophets were parents, we would call them foolish. Because we would see that they are in the very act of creating spoiled brats out of their precious offspring. Giving them all that they want, and never countering them. Isn't it true that the character that life demands is forged out of hardship? It's forged out of loving discipline and sometimes very painful rebuke. Hear me, both your kids and the parents in this room wish it were different. It's not. We're the kids of God. This is how life is. The NIV application commentary said something. I just want to quote it in full so you could hear it. He writes, false prophets downplay or deny the reality of God's anger. Listen to this. They reimagined the creator into a humanly synthesized and sanctified version of a great loving Santa Claus. Which has little basis in history in revelation, or in personal experience. I want you to imagine a scenario that's not far-fetched for some of you. Imagine what happens if your child comes to you with the news that they are attracted to their same gender. Or they come to you and they say that they heard that you can be a boy trapped in a girl's body. What do you do? How do you respond? These are weighty topics. These are really important topics. Think about this. Aren't you glad, in fact, aren't you overjoyed that your kids know that they can come to you and talk about this? You know, you want to know where to start? Start right there. Celebrate the conversation, celebrate that they knew to come to mom or dad or mom and dad with this really important question. And just start there. Secondly, are you scared in this moment because you want to get it right? Maybe you've been dreading having difficult conversations and you of course want what's best for your child. Pray all of that to God. If you don't know how to pray in a moment's notice with your heart rate starting to increase and your palms getting sweaty and your, blur- your vision getting blurry, however it manifests in you physically, start learning those prayers or start trusting God more. Because when you get in those situations, you learn very quickly. You don't go, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. You don't have time for that. It's Peter on the water. You say, Lord, help. Right now, help. I need your help. Would you fill me with wisdom? Here's what's even more powerful. If your kid's old enough, invite them into that prayer. Hey, mommy's feeling kind of nervous right now. And I think it's just because I think this is really important. I think this is an important conversation. Can we just take this to God right now? God, would you help us? We know that you're a loving father. We know that you created our bodies. and, and, And this is a wildly confusing topic for a lot of people. And I think you're nervous and I think I'm nervous. Let's just bring that to God. So if and when this conversation comes, celebrate that you're having the conversation. Affirm it. Say, man, there's going to be loads more like this. So great that we're having this. Secondly, just pray these things. Who is right on gender issues? Who is right on healthy sexuality and love? How do you know? How do you absolutely know? Let me give you three wildly popular belief systems right now. Love is love. God is love. Love is God. We're not going to take time to unpack these, but you guys kind of recognize those, right? You kind of could, you kind of could put out some basic tenets of what a person with that belief system around relationships, gender, sexuality would, would be on, on, on all of those. Do you see that these are mutually exclusive, meaning they can't all be right? If you subscribe to one, again, it doesn't matter what you say, the one that you obey is really the one you're a disciple of. So three belief systems, and here's what's kind of fascinating about it. they're similar sounding ideologies. They have similar words. There's massive implications for where this all goes. Now that's just the area of sexuality. What about the ethics regarding the mind, the mouth, and your hands? Where do we go? To what is good and just? To know for sure what's what's good and beautiful, what's wicked and ugly. Gossip, greed, and gluttony. Those are all still sins too, right? My Bible hasn't changed on that. Here's a question for parents. Parents, will you oppose your children in love when they are choosing sin? Children, will you oppose your children in love when they are choosing sin? Or... In the name of love, will you affirm them in their sin? This is devastating Christian families right now. I've been a youth pastor for a lot of years in this very city. This is wiping out families left and right. In my days as a bagger, the biggest moral choice people had to wrestle with is paper or plastic. Paper's kill in the redwoods. I can't do that the plastic's killing those dolphins. I mean, I'd sit there going, can you just pick? Because like, we have more customers. I'm a bagger. Like, Just carry them. I don't know. That was the biggest moral decision when, it, when I was in college. And now it's gotten a little bit higher. The stakes are a lot more difficult, particularly around gender issues and struggle with same-sex attraction. God tells us what is good. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does God require of you? God created us, male and female, in his own image to glorify him. That's a really simple, succinct way of the Genesis story, understanding who we are. This is bedrock truth, and it hasn't changed. He assigns our gender. We live within his created reality by receiving our gender as a gift. We glorify God simply by existing as male or female. I mean, you wake up, you glorify God with your gender. None of you had a choice in that. None of you had a choice of how much uh, melanin is in your skin. You wake up and you glorify God with the color of your skin simply by existing. You're you're an image bearer today. Everyone you've ever laid eyes on is an image bearer, thought up, dreamt up by God. We just sang it. The voice of God was calling that person into existence long before they had a conscience and could understand that. To do different, to reassign gender at will, To force our created reality on all others and then punish them if they don't comply with our wishes, this is the pinnacle of pride. It is the world we are living in right now. Hit pause for a second and check your own internal world for a second. There may be some of you sitting here right now saying, Preacher, don't preach. Don't preach on this stuff. Move on. God doesn't care about this. God cares about my happiness. My kid's happy. I'm happy. We're in a good place. It's been a rough patch. Move on. Can I lovingly, gently, but clearly show you something? This is exactly what's happening in Micah 2. Verse 6. Don't preach. Such disasters will never come our way false prophets are calling wicked things beautiful and beautiful things ugly now this has been going on for a long time we don't have a corner on the market in fact i would call the very first false prophet in human history is satan as serpent in the garden What's the this, what's this strategy of Satan as serpent in the garden? Number one, he counters the plain word of God. Did God really say? Let's get into the language, let's get into the nuance. I don't think that's interpreted correctly. That bedrock truth of do not touch, let's examine it a little bit. Did God really say? So he counters the plain word of God. Secondly, he offers his own version of reality, he reassigns reality at his will. He says, if you eat this fruit, you will surely not die. Man, God's good with your life the way it is. Life is good and God's good with your life. Do what you want. That's the strategy. Again, this sounds just like Micah 2. Surely disaster will never come our way. Satan, of course, goes on to prescribe how to be happy. How do you do it? Here, take a bite. It's easy. It's a fruit. Just eat it. And what's the promised bliss? Catch this. To be like God. Man, it's so predictable. You can see this in the garden. You can overlay this on what's happening in our culture, in our day. Eve, of course, took a bite. Then she offered it to her husband. And the rest, they say, is history. Our sordid human history. Christian, will you ignore your sin? By only listening to those who prop up your lifestyle, or will you give ear to those who are sounding the alarm even when it's annoying, even when it challenges what you had already thought? Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. When we pervert what is known into what is wished for, disaster follows. All of us do this regularly. We pervert what is known into what is wished for. We conveniently ignore certain realities. This is Paul talking to the other elders as he's about to leave them, never to return again. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 20, verse 26. He says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent Of the blood of all. Do you hear what's at stake? The blood of all. Blood is on the hands if we are witnesses who fail to sound the alarm about sin. Paul's saying, I didn't do that. Verse 27 For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Even the hard parts. Pay careful attention to yourself, leaders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And this works for parents as well. Parents, pay careful attention to your teaching. Pay careful attention to your own walk with God. You don't think as a pastor it's not hard for me to to get confused? Am I an employee for God? Do I work for God? Is he the boss? Or my beloved son of God, is he my father? Surely he's a good boss. I love my boss. But a pastor can very easily fall into, I work for God, I work for God, I work for God, and forget. No, 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 I'm a beloved son. We can all fall into this. He goes on in verse 29 to state very plainly this truth. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, the outside attack of a wolf in a sheep pen, obvious oppression or sneaky oppression? Not a trick question. Obvious. If there is a wolf visiting your sheep, shepherding 101, that's not a good visit, right? There's something else going on right there shoo that little wolf away that's obvious oppression listen to verse 30 and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them question is that obvious oppression or sneaky oppression that's sneaky wolf obvious wolves dressed as sheep not so obvious People will rise from your own midst, that's right in here, from your own community, speaking twisted things. They're false prophets, they're spewing lies, they sound really convincing because they're drawing disciples. It says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish you, to admonish every one of you with tears. And I love this concluding part of this passage. Verse 32 says this. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's a beautiful thing for a pastor to say. It's a beautiful thing for a parent to say. It's a beautiful thing for a disciple or and their mentor to say. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I want to say on my departure... I spoke it all to you. I didn't hide behind easy truths so that you'd like me. I didn't avoid warning in the name of building you up when really it was just making it easier on me. I too commend you to God and to his word. I too say that's what's going to build you up in the Lord. It's going to steer you on the straight and narrow. I want you to look at the screen for a second. I want you to count the number of crooked lines that you can see. Okay? And then after you count that, I want you to give me an answer. I'm not going to call on you, so don't panic too much. All the introverts are like, don't look. I want you to think of how you would know for certain that that line is crooked or straight. Looking at it from a screen from your distance without something being reliably straight, it is really hard to tell what is crooked on this screen. If I were to pass this paper around and have a ruler that's sitting in my office, I was going to do that last week with the kids, probably not very COVID compliant, but here we are in July. If you have a ruler, something that you are very confident is straight, it makes this exercise crazy easy, right? Enter God's helper. It helps us look past perception to what's really going on. Okay? How about over here? Any crooked lines this way? How about down here? How about down here? There we go. Mm-hmm. How about way up here? Maybe there's a crooked line. Oh, man, there's no crooked lines to be found on this screen. Some of your teachers. You may have used this with your students before. It's just an optical illusion. The perception is that they're all crooked. The truth is none of them are crooked, but how could you possibly know for certain? Got to get something that's straight to measure it against i entrust you to god in his word it will not fail you in knowing how to live i want to get to the hope of the passage today where is the hope for crooked mankind is there any hope of rescue for a crooked generation the answer is a resounding yes look at verse two uh, verse 12 i mean chapter 2 verse 12 Micah spoke hard truths that leads them to this life-giving truth. Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. This is God speaking. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together again like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities, back to your own land." The king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. After setting up our great need for a savior, he predicts Jesus. This is the gospel. The good news that there is coming a day when the poor who have been oppressed will have good news spoken to them instead of bad news. When the prisoners will be granted freedom, when the blind will be led by God himself, and when straying sheep are led safely back to pasture. What's going to happen soon after Micah's day historically? Assyrians are going to come, attack the northern and southern kingdom, and drive them out of their land. That's what's happening. Jesus is the true prophet, the holy priest, the mighty king, who does it all. I want to wrap up in your notes by giving you four truths about false prophets. How do I know who's telling the truth? Well, here are some things that might be helpful to you. Number one is this. There are secular and sacred versions of prophets. People who claim to speak for God are the sacred version. That's religious in nature. Thus saith the Lord, right? Those who speak as God, that's the secular version. Some speak for God. Those are secular prophets. Some speak as God. Those are the secular version. Here's the reality. Just because someone doesn't invoke God's name doesn't mean they aren't a false prophet who is seeking to lead you astray. Here's number two. Some false prophets will be obvious. Some will be sneaky. The rapture will come on May 21st, 2011, and the world will end on October 21st of that same year. True or false? False. How do we know? Because we're on the other side of history. Who said this? Harold Camping. On May 21st of 2011, I think it was a Saturday. I didn't go back and look this up, but I think we were doing some kind of a free uh, garage sale for the neighborhood. And I think people thought we were like giving our stuff away for the rapture, so I think it was well attended. I had a lot of cool spiritual conversations. You know what happened on May 21st Reuters reports this that Harold Camping was in his Alameda home with the shades drawn. On May 22nd, so that would be the day after the rapture, he comes, he comes out and he said he was flabbergasted that the, rap, that the rapture had not occurred. Yeah, you think? I mean, he put his whole stock in, I've figured out the date, here it is. He stated that he was looking for answers yeah, and that he would say more when he returned to work on May 23rd. Now, (laughs) you think he'd fire himself as a false prophet. I'm no good at this. I mean, he should have been checking the one-ends. Honestly, I know some dear brothers and uh, sisters in Christ, sincere brothers and sisters in Christ, who really said, yeah, I thought he was right. I mean, what he was saying seemed to be accurate. I mean, he was quoting scripture. He had all this research to back it up. That's obvious false prophet, especially when it's 10 years, 10 years later and it didn't happen. Most false prophets will be sneaky. Here's the kicker. They'll look just like you. Most crimes are committed by people. They go, I had no idea that was going on in that person's home. I've lived next door to that guy for 14 years. Not a clue. Matthew 7 15 what does Jesus say watch out for false prophets what does Micah say be aware this this says uh watch out watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ferocious wolves Jesus is telling us two really important things watch out the reason for that language is they're so deceptive they sound and seem so legitimate But the second thing he's telling us is our third point that false prophets are extremely dangerous. Again, you could have never seen sheep and wolves, and you get the metaphor. It's not watch out, these are you know, these are the 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 fleas of the world. They'll really make the sheep itch. It's their wolves, they're ferocious wolves. They survive on always finding new prey. And when they meet the new prey, they attack and they devour until they get their fill. Look at 2 Peter 2. These are all in your notes, so you can go back and look at them. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets, false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality. That's number four. Number four is this. They follow their own lust. Given enough time, you will see eventually money, power, or sex emerge. I mean, humans just, it's vanilla chocolate and strawberry. It's like those are the base sins. You will see over time one of those things emerge. What they are selling, people are buying, and it's no surprise. Look at 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Interesting choice of word, passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I want to read one more passage. Ben, would you come on up right now? I don't have time this morning, but here's the prompt. Look at the fruit of a person's message. What does Paul say? For three years, night and day, I admonished every single one of you with, with, with tears. You saw my life. If your pastor lives in Australia on a little YouTube channel, get a new pastor or move to Australia. <laughs> Man, get with your shepherd. God's called you to a family. I've got this great dad. Yeah, who is he? Well, he's Michael Jordan. Really? Michael Jordan's your dad? Yeah. He talks to me and he plays basketball with me while I watch. That's weird. Like your dad, like, like your shepherd, get get in person with them. Man, it's so good to be in a church where you guys just know me. You guys know Jim. In fact, later on in a couple of hours, you're going to know me so well, you're going to throw a pie in my face to get kids to camp. That's pie a pastor, and yes, it's still on. I tried to get it canceled, but I don't carry much clout around here. Here's the last one. Romans 16. I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create Obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but only their own appetite. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Pray with me, church. God, you have wizened up even the most simple of us in the room today. God, just the gift of your Holy Spirit, the presence of the risen Jesus, reading the word of God, is powerful enough to cut through all the garbage, all the smooth talk and flattery. God, thank you for that. I pray that you would keep us on your path of life. God, there are so many voices calling us in so many different directions. Help us to hear yours alone in Jesus' name.